This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com slash pockets. Fundrise.com slash pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Hey everyone, welcome to On The Market. This is Dave Meyer, your host, joined by Henry Washington. Henry, you you really went out of your way for this one to go all the way to Maui yeah. and post up in a short-term rental just to set the mood for the show about short-term rentals. It's very nice of you. Look, that's the extra mile that I'm willing to go for you, Dave. I am mm-hmm. willing to get on a plane and fly to Hawaii just so that we can do a show on short. I did this just for you, Dave. That is the Henry Washington experience, everyone. If you, what a stand-up gentleman. <laughs> I will go to a tropical destination just so that you can get the inside information at that tropical destination. Well, for you, we're going to do one of these shows once a month. So you can start traveling around and go to a short-term rental. Well, we do have a great show for you all today. I, I Honestly, I feel like it's been way too long. We've been doing On the Market for, what, 140 episodes? And we finally have a real bona fide expert on short-term rental data. We've had some fantastic operators on the show um, already. But we have Jamie Lane joining us today, who is runs the research department. He's the vice president of research for AirDNA, which if you don't know them, is one of the biggest short-term rental companies out there. And I'm super excited to talk to Jamie about all the headlines out there about, you know, whether short-term rentals are declining or what's really going on in the industry. And Jamie is definitely the person to to tell us what's truly going on. 
Yeah, the internet says the sky is falling out of the short-term rental market. And, you know, the headlines are sometimes just headlines, and sometimes there's some truth behind it. And I think what a great way to actually let's find out what the actual data says so that people can make informed decisions about growing or scaling a short-term rental business. All right. Well, with that said, let's bring on Jamie Lane, the Vice President of Research for AirDNA. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes. But how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Jamie Lane, welcome to On The Market. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks, Dave and Henry, for having me. Jamie, let's just start by having you introduce yourself. Can you tell our audience what you do for AirDNA? So I am the chief economist at AirDNA and uh, SVP of analytics. Uh, I've been with AirDNA now for three years. So for our audience who maybe hasn't heard about AirDNA, kind of tell us a little bit about like what kind of data AirDNA helps with and, and what you guys track. Yeah, so we are a short-term rental data and analytics company. Uh, We track the global performance of short-term rentals. 
So every listing that's online um, and available for rent across Airbnb, Verbo, Booking.com, uh, we uh, track the performance of that listing and then provide that data back to our customers. So for investors, they can understand what the earning potential is of new investments, uh, what markets and submarkets make the most sense to invest in today, and what the first future earning potential of those investments might be. Henry and I have a long list of questions that everyone else probably cares about, but I have to ask a question selfishly. How do you track all that data? I'm just very curious how you get it, because it seems like a very unique data set. Uh, it is a, a very unique data set. So we actually started tracking it back in 2014. Um, and we do it by uh, collecting it from the OTA, so Airbnb and Verbo. Uh, we are looking at the calendars of every single listing every single day and then tracking the movements in those calendars. So is a night available? Uh, when does it go unavailable? We then have a proprietary machine learning algorithm that can tell whether that's a booked or a blocked night. We then take the last available rate for that unit for that night uh, as the revenue for that booking. Uh, and then we do that every single day across 10 million listings around the world. Oh uh, so <laughs> uh, it's a uh, massive data undertaking. We've got uh, teams of engineers that sort of manage the pipelines. Uh, we have to check the accuracy. There's changes happening across the OTAs uh, sort of every day uh, that we have to keep up with that makes it a it, it makes it a serious endeavor. So what you're saying is it's no big deal. It's just a couple of inputs and you just throw it all, throw it all together. Easy peasy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am also a data nerd. I did data analytics for my career before. I, I went into the real estate business. So thanks, Dave, for asking that question, because uh, that's <laughs> like I always have an appreciation to hear about like how this stuff is put together because it's crazy difficult. And then uh, I'm cool that you guys get to do it now and I just get to sit back and be a person that looks at the aggregate. Yeah. And, and I spent 10 years as an economist covering the hotel industry uh, before joining AirDNA. Uh, so that was actually, I was one of the, if not the first customer of AirDNA, getting the short-term rental uh, performance data and actually incorporating it into um, our analysis of the hotel industry and trying to predict its future performance. Because obviously the short-term rental industry and its massive growth that we've seen has impacted how hotels are able to perform and the rates they're able to charge. So let's talk about what everybody else is thinking about when they hear short-term rental or air DNA, because there's been all kinds of crazy, scary, the world is falling apart, doomsday headlines about the short-term rental space. You know, every time you turn on your phone, you're hearing somebody say Airbnb is dead or short-term rentals are dead. So going into the fall, what do you see demand looking like for short-term rentals in this current market? You're not talking about Twitter X and sort of the doomsday scenarios that we've been seeing on that. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, it's uh, there's there's been a, a narrative out there around the collapse of the short-term rental industry. Uh, that is not what we're seeing really at all. We're seeing a normalization of performance. Uh, so back in 2018, 2019, short-term rentals averaged about 55% in terms of overall occupancy. Now that accelerated massively in 2021. So uh, for full year, it averaged about 63%. 
So like 800 basis points higher for occupancy, while it might not seem big, that that's a big change for an industry that was typically running I mean, 55% year after year after year. Though 2018, 2019 was sort of the historical peak. Like that was one of the best years ever for travel, for short-term rental performance. Like that was a really good year. So then, and if you think about how we got to that 63% occupancy in 2021, it wasn't because we saw a massive increase in demand for short-term rentals. So like the narrative that everyone started traveling and staying in short-term rentals in 2021, like demand was essentially flat compared to 2019 when it had been historically growing 10, 15% per year. What happened was we saw a massive decrease in supply. So supply dropped 25% roughly in 2020, and it took a long time to crawl back. So in 2021, demand started coming back. Supply wasn't there, and that pushed occupancies to those record levels. So now we've started to see a normalization coming back down. Like We only expect 2023 to end up at 58% occupancy. So yes, down from the 63%, but not nearly what we were at pre-pandemic. So it's, in, in our opinion, a very healthy market. And, and where does supply sit now, Jamie? You said that it, it was sort of took a little while to recover. In 2023, how does it compare to pre-pandemic levels? Yeah, we're, we're sitting about 25% uh, higher today than we were at in 2019. But as I said the trajectory of what we were growing at pre-pandemic was growing 10, 15% per year. So we're now, what, four years past the onset of COVID and have only grown 25% over that past year. So we're well below the sort of trajectory that we are on. Uh, we're sort of getting back to it. I mean, last year was a, a, a good year for growth. Supply was up about 20%. Uh, but now we're it's slowed um, in 2023. We're we're running about I'm 12, 13 percent growth this year. So tell us a little bit about where you are seeing. Well, kind of go both ways. So kind of where are you seeing dips in occupancy, and then uh, what parts of the country are you seeing STRs are really kind of rocking it right now? Yeah, where we're seeing the dips is more areas that we're seeing the most normalization. Uh, so there's. Markets like Joshua Tree or Phoenix, uh, Coachella Valley, that did really well in 2021 into 2022, uh, and both uh, on the demand side. So we had, in a lot of these markets, sort of abnormal seasonality patterns, like people traveling to Phoenix and Joshua Tree during the summer. Like, I don't know if you've been to Phoenix or Joshua Tree during the summer, like, they're, Why? <laughs> they're not markets that you typically <laughs> typically want to travel to. And when you look at the occupancies that those markets were generating sort of pre-pandemic, like those were the slow seasons. Uh, so now we're getting back to sort of normal, typical seasonality patterns in this market, which is causing it to look like occupancy is declining. All the while, and it is declining, but it's still a very healthy, normal market. Um, and then there's other areas like a market like Miami uh, that has seen significant supply growth um, and has actually seen overall weakness in demand. 
Um, and that's a market that's interesting because of sort of the impact of domestic and international travel. So that was a really popular market for people that wanted to travel to a, maybe an exotic city, but wanted to stay in the U.S., uh, wanted to be able to go to the beach. Uh, and now we're seeing a lot of people start to travel overseas again. Uh, and M Miami is a market that has historically been really dependent on international travelers coming into um, it as uh, tourists. Uh, and we're not yet seeing the sort of um, recovery of international travel to the U.S. So that's a market where we're seeing some overall occupancy weakness. But it it really is a different story for each city on why we're seeing the declines. Just about every market is seeing declines in occupancy uh, in 2023, but still just about every market is above 2019 levels of occupancy. Jamie, what if you cut and look at the data a little bit differently rather than trying to segment by geography? Do you have any insights into other characteristics of the rentals that are seeing more occupancy or declines in revenue? I'm just thinking, is there anything about tenure of the operator or, you know, scale? Is it upscale, midscale, something like that? So... We do actually uh, segment all properties into different price tiers. And this is one of the changes uh, we've had since uh, in the past couple of years that you can go on and see the performance of sort of luxury properties or budget properties or mid-scale properties. And throughout history and even today, luxury properties typically generate the lowest overall occupancy. Uh, and it's and much higher ADR, a lot of homeowners like have a much higher ADR threshold for which they'd be willing to rent out their home uh, and, and wanting to control the type of renters that are coming in, making sure their property is not getting trashed on a party or something like that. So 2019 luxury properties are generating less than 50% occupancy. They saw the biggest increase uh, over the past four years. So they're generating well over 50 and almost 60% occupancy in 2021, now running about uh, 56%. So they saw the biggest overall increase. And a lot of that was sort of the higher end domestic or traveler that's staying domestic that would have traveled overseas sort of without the pandemic. Uh, and that's especially true in like coastal and mountain markets. And that plays into... And maybe the narrative in an area like Destin or Panama City that did really well, uh, especially at the higher end, because like someone like from Atlanta that's going to do a drive to beach vacation, drive down there instead of traveling maybe to Nice or Cannes or somewhere in Europe. Uh, uh, those locations now are seeing the biggest overall decline in the in, at the luxury side. Uh uh, because of uh, the sort of changing travel patterns for those consumers. Uh, so that's, that's an area we're seeing overall weakness. Uh, where we're actually seeing the best performance is in that sort of mid-tier. Uh, so uh, reasonably priced properties, uh, still relatively competitive uh, to hotels, uh, and uh, really good product. So has key amenities, um, uh, well-located, uh, on the beach, 
Like the, these are the type of things you'd actually want to re, uh, rent, uh, and they're doing really well today. So going after that core travel segment that uses short term rentals on their vacations. Well, I love hearing that because I have mid tier short term rentals, and they have been doing fairly well consistently. And so hearing that makes me happy. Um, real quick, define ADR for the people who don't know what that is. And then I have another question for you. Yeah. So uh, maybe I'll go through the three main metrics. So occupancy and how many nights are you selling out of every night that you make your unit available? Uh, ADR is the average daily rate. So what is the rate that you're actually selling that night for? And then RevPAR that's one of the, the best ones is that combines occupancy and ADR. So what is the average revenue that you get for every night that you make available? And essentially just multiply your ADR times occupancy. And because you can manipulate your occupancy by either increasing or decreasing your rates. So if you want to drive up occupancy, you can lower your rates, fill your unit every night of the, <laughs> every night of the year. Uh, so RevPAR is that great mix so you can really get to the overall health of how your units and how the industry is performing. Wonderful. And my next question, I'm asking for a friend. Uh, <laughs> you said those mid-tier uh, short-term rentals tend to do the best, especially if they have uh, the right amenities with those mid-tiers. So what what are you th seeing as what are the, the right amenities or the, the best amenities for those mid-tier type properties? Again, this is for a friend. I'm just going to relay this information. No big deal. <laughs> Such a nice guy. <laughs> it, it really depends on the market. Uh, and that's where in certain markets now, there's certain amenities where I'm, they're considered like table stakes. Like if you don't have those amenities, then you just can't compete for guests. Like if you're investing in, in like Gatlinburg right now and you do not have a hot tub, you're a budget property. You're a, you're a property that's going to, and like 80% of properties, entire home properties in, in Gatlinburg have a hot tub. Uh, so uh, it really depends on the market. Uh, uh, properties like in Joshua Tree, like if you don't have a pool in Joshua Tree, you're seeing sort of double the overall in decrease in occupancy from and sort of the market average. So there's certain things like, during the pandemic, like maybe you would have got booked in uh, uh, Joshua Tree if you didn't have a pool, but now you're you're having to really compete to find guests if you don't have those sort of basic amenities. And then, and there are sort of amenities that can take you over and above, like having game rooms, having pickleball courts, having just I mean, unique things that really make your property stand out. And those. Uh, Unique things are what's driving sort of outsized performance in those markets. And those are constantly evolving as like in 2018 in Gatlinburg, if you had a hot tub, you're like, oh, yeah, like I've got the new hot amenity. And then everyone copies you. So you constantly have to be seeing sort of what those top performing properties are doing um, uh, to make sure you're staying competitive. So what you're saying is that your answer is saying people should look at the data from the data company. <laughs> uh you caught me yeah well i think the, i think the best business in all of real estate is being a hot tub repair company in a short-term <laughs> rental market because the amount of money i pay the service company for a hot tub because you have to have it like you just said jamie is ridiculous and in these small towns there's like two of them and they definitely collude on prices and good for them they're making a killing 
Um, anyway, I digress. <laughs> um, so we've talked a little bit about supply, demand, um, and occupancy. I'm just curious a little bit about um, average daily rate uh, and and how that compares, um, not just to the short-term rental industry, but how it also compares to the hotel industry. Because I think we talk about this a lot, uh, you know, on the show, Jamie, is that short-term rentals, they're of course real estate investments, but your competition is the, is a hotel, not like a rental property or not a a flip. Um, So I'm just curious how that all stacks up uh, in today's climate. Yeah. So one of the things that have made short-term rentals such an attractive investment over the past couple of years is the massive increase in ADRs that we've seen. So ADRs today are 40% higher than they were in 2019, uh, overall for the short-term rental industry. That makes the returns on investment that much more attractive because it's not like you're having to uh, turn over more units, uh, pay more for cleaning, all those things. This is just the exact same home that you're now being able to rent out for 20, 30, 40% more. Uh, And that comes essentially right down to the bottom line in terms of uh, your profitability of operating these, these investments. Uh, what we are seeing though, is the rate of increase is slowing substantially, uh, and even declining in a lot of markets around the country. Uh, and it sort of plays into the overall inflation picture, uh, that we actually see in the economy. So last year inflation, this uh, last summer inflation was what? 9%. Uh, that was what caused sort of the feds reaction to start raising interest rates, uh, short-term rental ADRs were growing up 11%. So we were outpacing the rate of inflation. Uh, That was great for short-term rentals, not great for the sort of Fed's reaction to all the rising prices that we were seeing across the overall economy. Now we're actually seeing ADRs decline slightly. Uh, So last month we saw about uh, a 1% decline in overall ADRs for short-term rentals. Uh, We've seen a few months now of consistent uh, year-over-year declines which means, and overall, you're not getting as much. Uh, A lot of what's playing into that is the declining occupancies. So if you're seeing your unit not being rented as much, you want to sort of maintain the occupancy that you're getting. You're sort of cutting your rate to sort of stay competitive, uh, bring guests into your properties. And that's that's happening across, uh, across the country. Not necessarily great for our industry, but great for the price pressures that are sort of going to overall impact the the real estate industry long term of uh, the Fed feeling comfortable that prices aren't aren't going to overall spiral. Uh, and then how that competes with hotels is hotels had seen uh, sort of overall weaker performance uh, coming out of the pandemic. So people were, were much more likely to stay in a short term rental uh, relative to a hotel. Uh, now that's largely flipping. Uh, hotels have seen really strong performance in the past couple of years. Uh, uh, a big part of that's a return of business travel, a return of conferences, people going to these big events. Uh, uh, and hotels now have significant pricing power. Uh, so they were growing rates 5 6% this summer, uh, which actually means hotels are starting to look look a bit more attractive. Uh, overall, hotels are hotels are still more expensive, sort of, sort of comparable units in major cities. 
short-term rentals more expensive in sort of coastal destination markets, but it's and it's not necessarily a fair comparison given that you get a, a kitchen, more amenities and in short-term rentals relative to hotels. Yeah, I mean you do you do get more amenities, it seems like in an Airbnb. And I think what makes it attractive for myself in particular is when I travel and I like to bring everybody um, like for example, I'm, I'm sitting in a short-term rental right now and we chose short-term rental over hotel because I can get multiple bedrooms because I brought my kids, uh, I brought my two kids and then we brought a nanny with us so that my wife and I can actually get some quality time in this vacation destination. And so when you're going to be stacking multiple rooms in a, in a, in a, in a nicer luxury hotel, it gets super pricey compared to uh, a short-term rental, but kind of in that same vein, are there certain clients that you see that are more attracted to hotels or more attracted to Airbnbs? Like what's that client base look like? Yeah. So overall, and the sort of narrative that's really held over the entire sort of four years since the onset of COVID has been the larger the property, the better your performance. So people that are traveling with groups, traveling with families, maybe uh, started staying in short-term rentals for the first time and are continuing to choose short-term rentals for that type of travel. Uh, if you look at the hotel industry's response, it's been like Hilton saying, we're going to now let you confirm adjoining rooms. And that's our response to all the demand for short-term rentals. Uh, they now, I'm, over half the pipeline for new hotel investment is extended state properties. So properties with kitchens, uh, properties with uh, uh, additional bedrooms, sort of suite style uh, hotels. So th they're seeing what's happening in terms of the popularity of sh the short-term rental product and trying to adapt to it. I think they're going to have a hard time overall sort of really competing and We've actually done a lot of studies in, in terms of what's happening in terms of short-term rentals share of overall paid accommodation. So the total number of rooms being sold across uh, hotels and short-term rentals, uh, we the short-term rental industry had been growing um, their share of overall travelers and pretty significantly. Uh, that obviously increased uh, in 2020, sort of came back down in 2021. And now we're sort of slowly pulling back share again from hotels. Uh, it's still an 85% of overall travel is happening in a hotel room. Hmm. Uh, so there's still wow. a much bigger slice of the overall pie of travel. But short-term rentals were like 8% of overall demand in 2018. And now we're up to uh, almost 15%. So and, uh, th this industry is, is growing. Uh, more and more people are trying it for the first time and seeing that for certain types of travel, it is a much better, a much better fit for how you want to interact and, and, um, and have accommodation when you go on vacation. Yeah. If, if hotels figure out how to compete with this multiple room, large family scenario, but in a hotel environment, I, I, I will be a sucker for it. Cause I love a good, uh, a hotel bar and delicious restaurant access by just walking downstairs. Uh, so I, <laughs> now I'm, I'm, I'm their huckleberry if they figure that out. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, one more thing I wanted to ask about, uh, hotels and Airbnb. So are you seeing, uh, certain markets where hotels are beating out Airbnbs, uh, particularly? Absolutely. Uh, and it's interesting the types of markets that are really beating out hotels 
It's not because of anything the short-term rental industry is doing. It's what's happening in terms of regulation. Uh, so we just saw new laws going into effect in, in New York, which dropped the short-term rental supply by uh, almost 80% sort of overnight. Um, we had uh, regulation go into effect in Los Angeles and Chicago and Boston and uh, Dallas. Uh, so there is an impact there in terms of the short-term rental industry able to and just provide the uh, uh, accommodation that people want uh, in the types of units that they've they've showed historically that they they want to be able to stay in uh, because of new laws and regulation going into these markets. So if you look at the overall share of demand staying in short-term rentals in urban areas, we're now essentially at 2018 levels of share. So all the growth that we'd seen in uh, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021 has essentially disappeared because of sort of lack of supply in those markets to accommodate guests. Uh, in the areas where short-term rental supply has been growing the most, so beach and mountain markets, uh, small and mid-sized cities, uh, short-term rental share in those areas is just going gangbusters and uh, continues to grow at a, a great rate. What about uh, international markets, Jamie? I've, I've read a lot about U.S. travelers going internationally a lot, particularly this year. Are you seeing a lot of growth there? Yeah. Uh, so I talked about a little bit about areas that we're seeing weakness in the U.S. because of Americans now traveling overseas. Uh, that has been a real bright spot for the sort of global short-term rental industry uh, of of Americans really coming back um, <laughs> at, a, at an amazing rate of, of traveling overseas again. So uh, we track the overall uh, share of international travelers uh, in these destinations. It's now at record highs. Uh, there's markets like Ireland, Switzerland, Italy, uh, Portugal, and over 15% of the demand for short-term rentals in those markets is coming just from Americans Wow! Uh, over the past year. So a massive increase in demand there. Uh, there's events uh, really coming back now. So uh, we're tracking, had the team just look into what was going on in Oktoberfest. Uh, and we're seeing demand up 30% this year for stays in short-term rentals uh, uh, compared to last year. So now fully recovered back to pre-pandemic highs and uh, seeing seeing strong growth. So people traveling for these fun events in Europe again, uh, uh, going back to the beach, going back to Greece, going back to south of France. Uh, and it's really a, a healthy market where Europe, if you looked at the data in 2021 and 2022, it was really struggling. Uh, so lockdowns were much more stringent there. Uh, people were really reluctant to get on a plane for 10 hours. Uh, and, and now that's really shifted uh, and people are, are getting back to traveling and uh, it's uh, the Americans are back. Yeah, man. Tell me about it. All my good deals on Airbnbs in Europe have <laughs> evaporated over the last two years. Just, everyone stay away. Yeah. So I, a, a data point there for you, Dave, you, you laugh, but I'd mentioned how ADRs were down in the U.S. Uh, ADRs this summer were up 15% in Europe year over year. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I, I, can, I mean, you see it firsthand. The, the, everywhere is just bustling right now. Yeah. Okay. So... Obviously, you have access to all this amazing data, and I'd imagine most people listening to this show are either current short-term rental operators who are wondering, 
should they be growing and expanding their portfolio or their aspiring short-term rental um, operators and they want to get into the space. So what kind of advice would you give to those people who are looking to either grow or get started in those space? What should they be looking for, not looking for, uh, adding or avoiding? So th- this may sound self-serving, <laughs> but you, you got to be looking at the data. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> you're, you're a good company here, Jamie. Our, our audience will, will, uh, be receptive to this, to this uh, idea. <laughs> and your audience is going to know that affordability of housing is at all time lows and you've got, and interest rates over 77%. We've got housing values still at all time highs. So we had seen a little bit of dip that's now come back and, and we're at, and reaching all time highs again in, in terms of, uh, housing values, short-term rentals, revenue uh, sort of peaked uh, uh, early last year. We're not seeing an overall decline, but it's essentially plateauing at the peak, which makes it where you've got to be really careful and really, uh, I would say, intentional in where you're going to make an investment today. Uh, where if you were looking in maybe 2020 and 2021, you could throw a throw a dart on a board, hit a market, and probably have found a great investment. Uh, that is much harder now. We're seeing way more uh, activity in small and mid-sized markets today. Uh, essentially, the best investments uh, for short-term rentals in a lot of ways, the areas that haven't seen significant upticks in housing values over the past three or four years. Uh, those markets are becoming harder and harder to find. And you've got to find ones that uh, still have sort of the drivers of short-term rental demand. Uh, so maybe a, a state or national park nearby, uh, maybe a, a, a hospital or a university that's driving a demand to that destination. Uh, but there's still great markets out there. And, and we're trying to build new and innovative tools to help people find those sort of diamonds in a rough uh, not only the best markets to invest in, but uh, I would say just about every market's got a sub-market that is investable today. Uh, it just might not have been the same market or sub-market that you would have invested in uh, even just last year. You know, your advice does sound a little self-serving, but I appreciate it because it's it's <laughs> we've been saying this really about all aspects of real estate investing. Um when we talk about it on this show, right? This market is forcing people to be more fundamentally sound investors because it's a much more unforgiving market. And so education in any real estate investment industry is so much more important right now because you can't make the mistakes you could make two or three years ago. Two or three years ago, you make a mistake, your value is going to go through the roof and you'd be fine, right? Two or three years ago, you make a mistake (laughs) with a short-term rental and you were still getting booked up. It didn't matter. And the market's just not allowing for that now, but it doesn't mean that it's falling apart, right? You have to ignore the headlines and dig into the data and do the research. There are always opportunities in every market and essentially what you're saying is you've got to do the research, find the areas where there's opportunity and then capitalize on that opportunity. That's investing fundamentals. So I really do appreciate that answer. Yeah. And like when you're looking at the data and just to give a tangible example, like if you're looking at the current occupancy that your market's running, like go back and look at what it was running in 2018 and 2019. And if it's still 
magnitude higher, like you've got to expect it to normalize back to those levels. And you can't expect the sort of highs that we've been running to continue. And that's, I think, and safe, uh, maybe conservative underwriting, but I think prudent in the type of environment we're at. Well said. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. You don't know this yet, but you will be appearing on this show again. Uh, well, if you'll have us, but we would love to have you back. <laughs> this is super helpful. Uh, if people want to follow you and AirDNA, where should they learn more? Yeah, so AirDNA, our website is airdna.co. Uh, uh, me, um, I'm active on Twitter, uh, Jamie underscore lane or on LinkedIn. Uh, please follow me. I talk about short-term rental data all the time. And we also, if you like the podcast format, um, have a, uh, a data podcast on short-term rentals called the STR data lab. And you can hear me every week talking about this sort of stuff. Awesome. Great. Thanks again, Jamie. Thank you. So it sounds like even though we are both short-term rental investors, we both prefer hotels. Is that right? <laughs> that is 100% accurate. If I have a choice, price excluded, <laughs> I'm going to stay at a hotel 10 out of 10 times. Dude, I'm exactly the same way. I'm like, I find like going to cool hotels to be like one of the most fun things to do about traveling. Like I love yeah. checking out new hotels for me too. It's nostalgic for me. My, my dad used to, or my parents used to take us on all these trips and they, they didn't believe in taking vacations without the kids. And this was back when you could just let kids wander. And so like mm -hmm. we'd check into a hotel and then he would, the only rule we had was we couldn't leave the hotel grounds and they would just, we would just wander around exploring the hotels. And like, I still have that sense. So when I, when I'm, walk into a new hotel like i feel childlike and i don't get that same feeling with like an airbnb totally I, i'm with you i mean just you mentioned the bar and and restaurant which i love it's like a fun place to socialize but yeah i mean a hotel breakfast like i walk into a hotel and i'm like i am going to make sure this hotel loses money on me <laughs> based right, on right. how much i'm going to consume at the hotel buffet <laughs> i will get them and i make it my mission <laughs> i think that's a fair mission in life but there is something tr uh, true about the group travel like if when i like go on a ski trip with friends or like for example We're planning, a, you know, a family sort of reunion for next summer. You know, I think Airbnbs are great for that. You know, having uh, nieces and nephews and cousins run around, that kind of stuff. It's really fun for group travel. But like if it's just being and Jane alone, it's it's definitely going to be a hotel. Agreed. 100%. I'm with you, bud. But that said, it is. I, I, I learned a lot. I, I, I did not realize that demand um continues to just grow and you know i we you see these headlines that occupancy is down and it is a normalization but what he said was that supply was up 25 percent, mm -hmm. but occupancy is still up relative to, to 2019 over the same time period so clearly there's still plenty of demand and he also told us that hotels still make up 85 so <laughs> it's not like they're Airbnb at this moment in the sun where it's capturing some right. huge portion of market share. It's still it's still just sort of a fraction. So it doesn't feel to me anymore like there's some risk that all of a sudden demand might evaporate. I mean, what I heard was that there is still plenty of opportunity all across the country to be a successful short term rental operator. And I think what I hope people are, are, are seeing and hearing from shows like this is 
that you just have to learn how to find the opportunity. You have to learn how to research the markets and then interpret that data. And yeah, you're going to take some risk, but you've got, you've got tons of data at your fingertips. Think about investors who were doing vacation rentals before, like they didn't have this level of data to use to make their decisions. And so you really kind of have a superpower um, with access to this information. If you spend a, a decent amount of time researching your market and then understanding what you need to provide to that market and where you need to provide it. I think you can be successful. It's just not like it was two years ago when you could throw anything out there and you're going to get a booking. I mean, this is, you have to, you're operating a business, which means you have to figure out a way to set yourself apart and then solve a problem. Totally. I, I, I've been saying this for a while and I think it's still true is that in a lot of new industries or new asset classes, when it first comes on, there are these pioneers and there's sort of like a gold rush. And I think that happened in short-term rentals. And it's before the market becomes efficient and it's relatively easy to make money. There's not great systems. You know, you kind of just like get in there and figure it out. And over time, if it proves to be a profitable asset, you can sure as hell bet that sophisticated investors are going to start moving into the space, uh, software companies, system, you know, they're, it's going to become an efficient market, just like the stock market is efficient, just like the rental and the multifamily market is efficient. That doesn't mean they are bad investments. They are still investments. It just means that they are more driven by the same fundamentals and need for good operations and good decision-making as every other asset class. 100%. All right, man. Well, enjoy your short-term rental. We were just yeah, talking about yeah, hotels. Yeah. Go sneak into a hotel breakfast and, <laughs> oh, and find yourself you, a buffet. If you think I already haven't gone next door to the Four Seasons and acted like I was staying there, <laughs> <laughs> you, sir, are mistaken. <laughs> you get the best of both worlds. You, Absolutely. You, you, can see you got Absolutely. your whole family in one spot. You got all the amenities of the Four Seasons. It's 100%. You're living, you're living the dream right now. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you for joining us from your vacation. And thank you all for listening. If you appreciate this episode, make sure to leave us a review on Spotify or Apple. We'll see you next time for On the Market. On the Market is created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kaylin Bennett. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Joel Esparza and Onyx Media. Research by Pooja Jindal. Copywriting by Nate Weintraub. And a very special thanks to the entire Bigger Pockets team. The content on the show on the market are opinions only. All listeners should independently verify data points, opinions, and investment strategies. Investing in small multifamily properties is probably the most popular niche in the entire Bigger Pockets community, and there's a good reason for that. You can put as little as 3.5% down and own up to four units. So just think about that for a second. You can house hack where you live in one of the units, but in addition to having a place to live, you still have three different groups of tenants helping to pay down your mortgage each month. You have four kitchens and bathrooms that you could add value to to build equity. You could also turn one or more of the properties into a short-term rental or a medium-term rental. And all this, what I'm describing here, is just one transaction. But of course, the question is, where do you find one of these small multifamily properties that you can afford? Which markets and which deals are best for you? How about after you close? How do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling and living your life without being 
being tied down by four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? These are all great questions. And luckily for you, they're gonna be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient, great strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four today and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. I'll see you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.